This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn and shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic each episode, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, hesitant launderers, Josie Spicer and Kara Brooks. This week, we are asking the question, is the death penalty a just punishment? Kara, what hill would you like to die on? Short answer, I'm going to say no. I have a pretty weird take on this one. Ooh. Um, or I'd say, like, may- I don't know, maybe it's a conventional take. I think it's an unconventional take. So should we state our hills first, or do you want me just to dive into Yeah, let, so mine, no. <laughs> and, so same yeah. hill. I'm curious as to how much the um, reasoning behind the hills differ. Because <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if they differ quite a bit so yeah do you want to jump into why you don't think the death penalty is a just punishment so i think that for a lot of not a lot of people but there's definitely some people in prison who i think deserve to die quite honestly like i listen and watch a lot of true crime and there's some cases where the person is very clearly guilty and very clearly has absolutely no remorse for really hideous things that they've done where you just can't even conceive that another human could do that to another human and in those situations though I still don't think it's the state's position to kill them so there's Mm -hmm. two two sort of aspects to it whereas on the one hand I think that you know death is almost just the easy option and perhaps they should just fucking rot in there and on the other hand I think that you know it's not the state's role to kill them but maybe just give them to the family like just let them have a fucking free-for-all with them but um you know and then there's a sort of third arm coming in where i think that you know there's a lot of people that are falsely convicted that have um wrong confessions there's been people who have been put to death who were later proved to be innocent and exonerated you know posthumously and in those situations obviously you can't like it's just there's too much margin for error so it would really have to be a super specific set of circumstances where you are a hundred percent and i mean fucking a hundred percent sure that it is that person that is responsible like there is undeniable evidence undeniable proof and in those very few situations where it would be a warranted thing to have them die like i do not want to share a planet and nobody wants to share a planet with them And, you know, what they've done is just so horrific that no amount of prison time or supposed rehabilitation or anything is possible. Then in those situations, I'm like, yeah, maybe you should just let the family kill them and, you know, have at it. What do you think, given all the, you know, the capabilities of tech and everything today, what what level of evidence would you require for you to even, like, you know, for you to think that this person absolutely did this horrible thing. Like, I, I'm just curious, because like I ask myself this question just kind of regularly, like what would it take for me to be so certain of someone's guilt? You know, a checklist that you could go through, because some cases are just really fucking obvious. Um, like the amount of evidence just all adds up that like they have the DNA, there was this footage of this, that, you know, and all these pieces and witnesses. And obviously, like, there's certain things that can be affected or tampered with. But I think if enough things check, they have a confession, they have, you know, all these other pieces that it just doesn't seem possible that anyone else could have done it. And the person's like, yeah, I fucking did it. So what? I'd do it again. Like, truly beyond. Yeah, like doubt, John Wayne like... Gacy kind of stuff. I don't know much about him, honestly. Um, so basically, he murdered over 30 young boys and they found the bodies in the crawl space in his house. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah, and yeah. he was put to death. Like, he was executed by electric chair and his last words were, kiss my ass. So he was a real charming piece of shit. But yeah, mm. people like him, I'm like, yeah, I mean, Honestly, I would have preferred him to go out Dharma style, where he was beaten to death in prison. But in Gacy's case, I'm like, he definitely didn't deserve to keep living. Like, it's a real tricky one. But yeah, some people, I just, I think it's definitely an over, like, what would you even call that? Like, it's handed out too frequently, the death sentence in certain states in the US. 
Um, like, I don't think mm-hmm. it should be a go-to for murder, but I think certain murderers, there's definitely cause where I can understand it. Um, but I still just don't think the state should have that kind of power. Like, I don't think anyone should have the power to decide anyone else's death. But when yeah. it comes to, like, retribution and stuff, I can kind of understand it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird one. Like, I'm definitely – I'm still saying no. Like, I don't think it's a just punishment because who is it just for? You know what I mean? Like, who yes. is getting justice out of it? I don't think anyone is because the only way the family could get justice is if they fucking did it themselves or did something that was like however their loved one was treated you know like if it was something that's like not just you get humanely executed with a fucking injection when they had a family member that was tortured or you know something really horrific also usually after years of being in prison because obviously you're entitled to in the u.s um so for our international listeners we don't have capital punishment in australia this is very much in a kind of u.s lens and from my understanding like you're obviously allowed to exhaust all of your appeals before you're executed so even if you were for capital punishment as is if you're thinking about the families, this they've still got years where this person is alive and bringing up the murder or you know the crime, yeah. over and, and they over have to again. go to all those appeals and you know give like witness impact statements and all that sort of stuff to resentencing hearings to everything. One of my uni subjects this semester is punishment and penal policy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh we're so mature. I know it's not penile or whatever, but penal policy is funny yeah. enough. And, you know, I would like to say that I'm an abolitionist, but I don't know what my views are for, you know, your John Wayne Gacy's and, you know, all these people who really shouldn't be breathing. But I also am against prison. So what am I proposing, right? Like, I don't know. But I guess with prison being a thing right now, I don't think that capital punishment is a just punishment. I, I don't think it should be ever be given out as frustrating as and and like disgusting and and so remorseless these serial killers are because i think about what the death penalty does to people in terms of like because from my understanding only certain states in the u.s have the death penalty and there's also you know particular crimes that in certain states are like well this is automatically like a death penalty case or this is eligible for death penalty yeah like the maximum sentence for that crime is the death penalty therefore if they go to trial that's what's on the table kind of thing like unless they cut a deal exactly what you said unless they cut a deal so what if you had someone who wasn't fucking guilty or like maybe was guilty of manslaughter or just simply didn't do it they don't want to roll the dice so they plead guilty for a life in prison and it's, that's not justice if they weren't guilty. I think that happens more often than maybe people realize. And, you know, if you plead guilty to something, there's no appealing that, you know? Like, yeah. um, so the choice is I roll the dice and I potentially get found not guilty. Or... Yeah, or you roll the dice and go to death row. And, you know, have to fucking go through all the process of appealing and everything like that. And yeah, so that's... I guess that's through the lens of someone who is innocent or or not as guilty but then i think of victims and my first reaction is yes let the families have at them and i think that victims should have more of a voice in what they like they should be able to verbalize what they feel is just but from my own experience there is literally nothing just like you know homicide is the most unjust thing that can occur and I think retribution is like the best you can get I don't see how there's any way of like trying to rebalance those scales you know like I like even when my cousin's murderer was sentenced there was a moment of euphoria and then we're just like okay well she's still not here so what was all that for and you know I know he's been hurt in prison and it fucking gives me no joy like I don't care what was his sentence uh how many years So life, which I believe in Queensland is, it's less than 25 years by far. In fact, I think he's due out in a few years. Like, because I'm not too familiar. So most of my knowledge of the legal system, funnily enough, is through the US lens, (laughs) just because that's what I watch more of. Like, I I know that a lot of... Um, in the UK and in Australia, a lot of the sentencing is a lot less severe. Like it's kind of shocking sometimes when you get used to seeing stuff through an American lens and then suddenly it's like they, you know, 
first degree murder and get 13 years or something yes. and we're out after seven and you're like what the fuck like yeah. what, what are we doing i don't think it's ever just but i i don't know what an alternative is outside of true life sentence and yeah and it's hard with like prison abolition especially when it's like i reject the the idea of like a lot of reasons that people get sent to an institution like that and I don't think it's ever really productive in terms of like especially for like drug offenses and things like that I think you would be much better off going to a rehabilitation facility or you know mental health care and other things that would prevent it from happening again and address the real root issues of the problem and not just you know punish you for it um like punitive measures aren't always the best solution but there's another part of me that when it's really heinous crimes i just think like i feel so much safer knowing they don't have access to this community Mm -hmm. like i do want them put away somewhere where they're not an endangerment to other people myself included you know so it, it does become like this real well what do you do in that situation because any anything where you're putting them away and segregating them from society is a prison in that sense like yeah the ones that are just no remorse no anything like you know beyond help kind of thing and that is a legit thing like some people are just complete fucking sociopaths and psychopaths to boot Mm -hmm. and i just think like why waste the resources on trying to rehabilitate someone that you can't rehabilitate and i don't want them out the majority of people shouldn't be in prison and there would be better solutions other than prison. But I know that there are those people who are going to reoffend, and I don't, I don't know enough about, you know, alternatives to prison for people like that. Yeah. And I think not enough countries have like introduced alternatives that have been really successful where you can say like, this was a better option or this, or maybe we just don't have access to that type of information. I know there's some countries in Europe, like I think in some of the Scandi countries where prison is almost like a fucking hotel, but they actually have really like low offense rates. Like (laughs) it's like probably better than how a lot of people here live in general. And yet. Yeah. So there's Anders Breivik and who, who... Oh, he shot all the Labour Party children. Yeah. So I know he's in a prison like that because that's just what they have. And uh, also the man behind the band Burzum, he murdered the singer of another band. But yeah, anyway, he was able to release albums and, and stuff through prison and, and he's reoffended not murder but he's done other sort of crimes since then too and yeah so like you get internet access and everything in these prisons even for the grossest people like i don't believe in those sort of like fundamental rights being taken away so i am very wary because i i think victims need to have a say in how like in what justice looks like for them but that also may change over time and you can't take back something that's like really I mean in the same way a murderer can't take back the murder like if you hand out the death penalty and it's and it's you know seen through you can't take it back and on one hand I'm you know just fucking thinking about alternatives and I'm like okay well what happens if you you gave the family this person and they dictated what happened to them that I think about people who were wrongly accused and people yes. took justice into their own hands and yeah, you know. vigilante shit that really went awry. And then you end up with a whole other set of issues because the family that were innocent are now guilty of a crime on an innocent person. And Exactly. I think a lot of people as well, and I'll be curious to find this out, so I think a lot of people say, oh, the death penalty is a good deterrent. But I have a feeling that that's not true. I don't have anything to back that up right now. Well, that's it. And I think a lot of, I've heard, at least from a lot of the true crime and stuff that I've seen and heard, often it can be quite the opposite because a lifetime in prison seems really awful. But on death row, you get a lot more perks than you do in the general population. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, and it's at least, like, safer in terms of you're alone a lot of, like, 23 hours a day you're alone. Um, so you don't have to deal with a lot of the um, inmate-on-inmate violence that the general population deals with. Um, like protective custody is kind of similar, from my understanding, to death row because they're, you know, segregated inmates. They're like, no, we're going to kill him, not you guys. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. But it's like some people, when they think that they have to spend 10 years in prison, they would rather do it on death row than in the general population. I guess it depends how scared of death you are too, right? Also, there's the question, it's like, 
for, you know, states that don't have the death penalty or, or nations that don't have the death penalty. What are we doing in our prison system and justice system that basically equates to the death penalty? Like I, in terms of I, I'm just thinking especially about being in a prison in the US right now is is almost the same as a fucking, you know, death penalty conviction because <laughs> the chances of you getting COVID and dying really fucking yeah, high. True. I, I know that's not really getting to our question, but it's just like prison itself adjustment punishment (laughs) yeah well yeah i I guess it kind of comes down to that like where do you draw the line if it's like yeah 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 i'm not for the death penalty it's like okay but what your solution is is that better or worse like in australia the equivalent is like an actual life in prison right like ivan malat for instance or people like that 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 just legitimately die from whatever like natural causes in prison because they're never getting out. Well, shall we go away and find out more and probably rage harder than ever before? Yeah, I'm like interested, but also dreading it. And because I I think like, you know, justice is like your fucking jam and true crime is kind of my jam. Investigating is my jam. But I just, I know that this is going to be infuriating at the same time. Okay, Kara, we've gone away and done some investigating to try to see if our hill was worth dying on. I've personally found that this topic was really, like, I really enjoyed learning stuff about it, but it's fucking infuriating. So I have a lot to say, um, but at any point, feel free to, like, interject. Okay, first up, one of the franules of the show, Jace, put me in contact with their friend Sadie. And Sadie's just finished up at Harvard Law School. She spent most of the past three years representing incarcerated people with life sentences in their parole hearings. She took a class last year called Capital Punishment in America, which is taught by Professor Carol Steicher. Uh, who's one of the leading anti-death penalty lawyers in the United States. And to top it off, Sadie, from January to May this year, uh, interned for a unit of the Federal Public Defender in Dallas, Texas, that specifically represents people at the federal level in what is the very complicated death penalty appeals process. One of the clients she worked with was executed in February. She's now studying for the bar and is starting in the same unit, but at the Federal Public Defender in Phoenix, Arizona later this year. So I'm very thankful for Jace for putting me in contact with Sadie. And so I asked Sadie a bunch of questions and she was super helpful and forthcoming. She answered generously and gave me a bunch of resources to read further. So before I dive in, I just want to give a big, big thank you to Sadie, who is a freaking delight. My first question to Sadie was, do you believe the death penalty will ever be fully abolished in the United States? Sadie responded, I do think the death penalty will be abolished, and I do think it will be in our generation's lifetime. My professor, Carol Steicher, guessed 15 to 20 years. Her brother, who is also a leading death penalty lawyer, Jordan Steicher, guessed 20 to 30 years. The recent renewal of federal executions makes me a bit hesitant to say that with as much confidence now, but I'm still choosing to adamantly believe that I will live to see the death penalty abolished. So I thought that was very interesting and exciting that people in this field in the United States do think that at the state level the death penalty will be abolished sooner rather than later especially because it's something that like every country used to do right and so it's like you know the more society progresses the less countries are doing it so it kind of makes sense that that it would go that way eventually they will sort of taper out into nothing and like more states make it you know, not part of their legal system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's just the natural progression of things, right? Like, during my reading, I found out that only two countries have have kind of reinstated capital punishment after previously abolishing. So the second question I had for Sadie was, what do you believe is the largest misconception about capital punishment that people may be surprised to learn? Sadie's response. There are a few big ones for me. I'm not sure if they're misconceptions as much as just things I wish people knew. There is no evidence that the death penalty deters crime. The highest predictor of whether someone will get the death penalty is the race of the victim. A person who commits a murder and is black is significantly more likely to get the death penalty than someone who commits the same crime that is white. But those statistics are even more magnified when you look at the race of the victim. A black person who kills a white victim is wildly more likely to get the death penalty 
It also has a lot to do with whether or not someone exercises their right to a trial, which is kind of what we briefly touched on last week. For instance, Daniel Lewis Lee, who was the first person to be executed at the federal level in 17 years earlier this week, so at the time of recording, last week, had a co-defendant who was also there at the crime. And the evidence makes it likely that he, the co-defendant, actually was the one who committed the worst of the murders. But he took a plea deal, so he got life in prison, which he is still currently serving, while Danny Lee was executed this week. Sadie then goes on to say, a lot of victims' families, including one of Lee's victims' mothers, who adamantly opposes his execution, said it sullied her daughter's name and memory. So a lot of the victims' families don't want the death penalty, but that has no bearing on whether or not a prosecutor will seek the death penalty or whether the person is ultimately executed. This has nothing to do with justice for victims. I then asked Sadie if she had anything else she wanted to add or any resources, um, not only for me to launch off of, but for me to share with like our listeners. And she linked me to some books, articles, and TED Talks, and I'm going to put those in both the show notes and onto our website when I can. But, like, what a good fucking resource. What a hookup of a person to be able to talk to about that, you know? <laughs> like I know. Like, knowing someone like that, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what are the chances of, like, one of our listeners, you know, being so well-connected? <laughs> Because I feel like it's always the more interesting stuff, like when it's when it's someone that you get to talk to directly, because instead of just having to like, you know, Google or sift through an article and find like something pertinent, you can ask exactly what you want to know. Absolutely. And I think also Sadie just reminded me, like, you know, she's dealing with these clients and one of her clients was executed. Like, I don't know, for some reason, just talking to someone who is on the ground with these people makes it so much more real and less abstract. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just theoretical, like, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things, and again, I would recommend that any of our listeners look at the resources Sadie pointed me to. Uh, there was a TED Talk by a man named Brian Stevenson, and he just had a really succinct way of reframing the question of whether the death penalty is a just punishment. And he just simply asks for people to shift their perspective Instead of asking, does this person deserve to die? The more important question is, does the government deserve to kill? And I think for, for a lot of people that should clear things up, um, no matter kind of what, where you lean politically even. He also stated that for every nine people killed in the US on death row, at least one could have been exonerated. So one in nine is, is of people executed are innocent that we know of. Fucked. If you knew that for every nine planes that took off, one was going to crash and kill everyone, like you wouldn't fly planes, like you just wouldn't do it. So why are we... Why is this still a thing? Like, yeah. So that was all from Sadie. And I did a bit of my own digging prior to that into the death penalty, just because this semester I'm enrolled in punishment and penal policy. Uh, so I had some articles to draw from. Come across things like penal power and stuff like that and I have to like I have to stop laughing it's not even the right word Josie stop but still hilarious like it's so funny <laughs> exert penal power <laughs> <sighs> I'm glad there was something we could laugh about in this, this episode but yeah so going through those articles let's just say basically everyone who studies punishment and penal policy academically are incredibly critical of the death penalty. So these are my notes. Uh, the first article that I'll, again, I'll kind of cite in the show notes was called Towards the Global Elimination of the Death Penalty. I found out that the first time abolition of the death penalty was put forward was in 1764 um, <laughs> by a dude. Cesare Beccaria. His angle was more about utility and that abolition was in the interest of the state rather than like the human rights element because Beccaria warned that the death penalty promoted much of what the state was trying to prohibit, which is killing as revenge. He wasn't a total abolitionist and kind of used the argument that many contemporary um, retentionists, so retentionists might be a word I use, it's people who want to keep the death penalty. So he stated that the death penalty should be saved for certain crimes, like more heinous crimes, and which would then prevent others from committing those crimes. And then not a whole lot kind of happened with abolition until 1948, so just after World War II. And, you know, people were thinking about, hmm, 
maybe we shouldn't be able to just like arbitrarily kill people. <laughs> so in 1948, at the time that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the UDHR, was being drawn up, only two countries had fully abolished the death penalty at that point, Panama and Uruguay, which, cool, go Panama and Uruguay. So for a long time, the UDHR arguably allowed the case for capital punishment to be left to the decision of national governments and states because they used the words, no one shall be arbitrarily deprived of his life. So, you know, all kind of like, in order to keep in compliance with this like human rights declaration, nations just have to be like, well, it was necessary. It wasn't arbitrary. Sure. Eventually the objectives of the UDHR were changed and they explicitly stated that they're wanting all nations to work towards the abolition of the death penalty um, and, you know, do that in good faith. The paper made a point that the human rights argument of the death penalty is still fairly young when you look at like the timeline of abolition and it's like an entirely separate argument to that of deterrence. Like, I mean, for one, the death penalty doesn't fucking deter anything, but it's like, okay, say it did. That still doesn't make it okay. Like that still goes against all human rights arguments. Like I have the exact same type of argument, like in my notes. Oh really? I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I keep talking. No, no, no. That's part of it. Sorry for doing my job. (laughs) (laughs) So, There are still countries that do enact the death penalty. Um, So there's a whole bunch of countries that are abolitionists by not doing it. So in their law, they still technically can, but they just don't do it. Anyway. They just don't exercise that right. Exactly. And the human rights aspect of the argument for abolition is often pushed back by those who believe that going against the, in, in inverted commas, public will, will delegitimize the power of the state. But there's been research to show that in countries where the death penalty still exists, people only support the death penalty due to their socialization and the acceptance that it's just legal. And further to that, some research shows that while support and acceptance of the death penalty was common in retentionist countries, only few would actually oppose abolition if it was brought up by the government so it's like they can like they can just fucking do it i mean that's like the same argument with like guns in the states you know people they're socially conditioned to think that that's normal and that they should be able to have guns whereas we are socially conditioned and we're in that first generation really of australians that are socially conditioned to not have them exactly yeah and that's so normal to us that it's like why the fuck would you want them i mean i remember when they became illegal that i was old enough to like you know it wasn't before i was born or anything but it was still like i was so young when they were illegal that i'd only seen one a couple times like out on a farm or something it really wasn't yeah like it it wasn't a thing like i think my dad owned one um before they became um you know illegal oh do you use like do the amnesty thing or whatever yeah 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 Yeah. and it was like to shoot cans on a farm you know like (laughs) it was just like dumb shit yeah people would do but there was no real reason and so he didn't mind like giving it up exactly there's no culture of gun ownership here and it's like you still can own a gun if you have a farm and need to like get rid of pests and stuff like yeah yeah it's like you just you know like you should go through the proper fucking licensing to have it but (laughs) i mean it's the point of like you know if you are raised without something or whatever you're raised in seems to become the normal totally um or your idea of normal so i could see that they would think that it was you know well that's just how it is and of course the government has the right to do that because they've always had that right exactly but then yeah if you're if you're in a country where they do not have that right it's appalling like the thought of them suddenly having that right (laughs) yeah and so for me i feel like the human rights element of it is like central to me so for those who for whatever reason don't want to engage with the human rights aspect of abolition there's an argument to be made or rather there's fucking definitive research that shows that it's impossible to devise a system of capital punishment that does not produce error and the system will inevitably inflict punishment that is arbitrary cruel and inhumane so that kind of goes back to the whole well you're not going to get it right. And we can see that in the US where one in nine people are innocent and have been executed that we know yeah. of. And thinking of just this this idea that it's impossible to have a system that does not produce error and it will the punishment will be arbitrary, cruel and inhumane. So a lot of people 
you know, even I would have said this before I started breeding, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's lethal injection, it's it's done, it's quick, and it's it, it's not very cruel. But I'm thinking back to that person who was executed last week at the federal level. I read what actually went down. He was strapped to the execution table for four hours during the night while Attorney General Barr and, like, the state and other representatives fought with one another about the stays of execution like they were trying their hardest to get a stay like to prevent his execution that evening and so he was just strapped onto this bed for four hours before finally being killed at like 3 a.m 4 a.m in the morning and to me that sounds pretty fucking cruel and inhumane anticipation is the wrong word but like the build-up to that is just sounds horrible you know it's like do it or don't <laughs> yeah like the mental anguish mm. of putting someone through that so the way that daniel lewis lee was executed in the early hours of the morning while the rest of his country slept and you know he's being killed supposedly for the sake of his country like to keep everyone who's sleeping safe the way it was more or less a secret private affair reminded me of another paper i read which i'll put in the show notes which inspected the ways in which capital punishment has been kind of like enacted and thought of over time so initially the death penalty was like used as a deterrent like by the state since like the early modern era in much of europe and they have public executions you know we think of the gallows and fucking hanging and guillotine blah blah and they made sort of a like macabre festival out of it and it was very public and the public display was supposed to be like a way to reaffirm the power of the state as well as serve as like a civics lesson to all the witnesses there supposed to tell them you know like this will be you if you are a wrongdoer so you know people say well it deters other people because it's such a visible thing this execution what does execution behind the walls of a prison do like if no one's there to witness it which again i'm like i'm not advocating that we go and watch people like let's bring court tv in and have like live executions but like yeah i have the same argument in my notes as well oh really yeah like if you're not having it publicly what's the point yeah it's like because it's yeah it's a secret it's this weird dirty little secret that the government does and I don't see how that's going to prevent anyone. Like if you don't really know what's doing, like what's actually going on or you're not seeing it actually happen, it's A, super fucking easy to distance yourself from it because you're not having to witness it. Uh-huh. So the people that would otherwise be outraged by it don't have to be because they can just pretend it's not happening. And anyone that would possibly, if it's even possible to see it as a deterrent, aren't seeing it happen. So they don't really know what they're being deterred from. You're, you're exactly fucking right. Like, this is like literally the last sentence of my notes is how is how is one supposed to be deterred by something that's invisible and abstract? I think that's a really cool place for you to like, if you want to begin your notes, I would love to hear what you found. So I went into like a basically just like an ethics debate with myself and because I, you know, am fundamentally against killing people like you know I have my various reasons but like ultimately it's against the state killing people but I realized it was going to be an ethics debate and I wanted to sort of draw a for and against (laughs) arguments on each side so that I could at least see what the argument for having the death penalty would be so that I know basically what I'm arguing against. So I read BBC on their website actually had a really good ethics guide about this. It didn't have an author listed, Um, but I went through that and then also an article in The Conversation by Jeffrey Howard, who's a lecturer in political philosophy at the University of Essex. So all of this or most of it is based on those two articles. Mm -hmm. But in going through it, it was basically four different areas that were considered arguments for and against. So the first being retribution, the second deterrence, the third public safety, and the fourth closure. Mm -hmm. So in the framework of that, I'll just like break down each one, like for and against. So I mean, retribution, an argument for capital punishment is generally when they're talking about retribution is that guilty people deserve to be punished. Mm -hmm. So it's all guilty people deserve to be punished and only guilty people deserve to be punished. And that guilty people deserve to be punished in proportion to the severity of their crime. That is where a lot of people think that, you know, if you've murdered someone, you deserve to be murdered. And a lot of the time, the biblical argument of like an eye for an eye Mm -hmm. gets brought up, but it's a misinterpretation of the Old Testament because the intent of that is supposed to be that the punishment for the crime should be neither too lenient nor too severe, and it should only be for the guilty. Yeah, right. (laughs) So, you know, and that in itself is like, well, nope. (laughs) 
<laughs> like straight away. No, because it's never just for the guilty, as we've established. So the against capital punishment side of retribution is that retribution itself is morally flawed and problematic in concept and in practice. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just a sanitized version of vengeance. Yeah. That's all it is. Like it's it's fucking revenge. And when an innocent person is executed, a key principle of retribution is that people should get what they deserve and only what they deserve, and that's violated. Mm. So, you know, immediately that's like, well, that nulls that fucking argument. Like, and where's, what's the redress for that then? Okay, so the state like committed this thing against someone who's innocent. Then yeah, what? so now do we kill the state? Yes. I mean, yes, please, but... <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. So... Crimes other than murder do not receive a punishment that mimics the crime. Mm. So, you know, rapists don't get raped. No. I mean, they might in prison, but it's not, the state doesn't rape them. You know, like it doesn't become, it's the only crime where really that's the, the punishment is the same as the crime, really. And it's never, you know, directly proportionate. Sometimes I'm sure like with the executions that go wrong, sometimes it could be worse. Yeah. A lot of the time it's arguably better. But capital punishment is also, it's not operated retributively. So, like, it's not even used consistently for a particular type of murder. So it's inappropriate to use retribution as a justification for it because the state doesn't do it, like, arguing that it's for retribution. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because that would just come across as revenge. Yeah. And it would be like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like, So there's also, like, you know, that's a lot of arguments but against it. There's also the little sub-branch where it's capital punishment isn't retribution enough. Oh. Like, it's not punishment enough for the people that have done something that people think deserve death, you know. So the other argument is that life imprisonment is actually more severe. Like it's a more severe punishment. It's prolonged suffering. So that is, you know, for the people that think that, well, they deserve punishment, surely that would be enough. Yeah. You know, and and in saying that, then we move on to deterrence as the next topic, which so the arguments uh, for capital punishment in regards to deterrence, the argument is supposed to be that by executing convicted murderers, they deter would-be murderers from killing people. But it's impossible to know or to test the effectiveness of capital punishment as a deterrent because it would require knowing how many murders would have been committed in a state during a specific time period had the law been different. Uh, true. You can't you can't measure that. There's no way that you can. And anyone who says they have a statistic for that is full of shit. Like there's literally no way you can find. You can guess, but it's just that, a guess. Like you, you can't fucking tell. So any and that works both ways. Like that's for or against. Yeah. Because you can't argue against it saying it doesn't work. Maybe it does. We don't fucking know. I guess like at best all you could really do is like measure so say if a place like had abolition, I guess you could be like, Well, our murders increased a whole lot and you can see that like you, you could maybe infer that over a period yeah, of time. Yeah, for sure. But and then even then, but you're like, but is that because of all these other factors, exactly. or is that purely just because, of, like, what else happened during that time? Like, where else did funding go in the state totally. to capital punishment? Like, yeah, yeah, there's all these other arguments that you just you never know. So arguments against um, capital punishment in regards to deterrence, you know, it being impossible to know is also part of that. Yeah, like it goes both ways. Some capital crimes are committed in such a state that the perpetrator didn't think about possible consequences. So, uh, like, you know, if they're in a really heightened emotional state, they're probably not thinking about what's going to happen. Um, like, any punishment isn't going to be a deterrent. You could be like, you, you know, you're going to get tortured and they're not even going to think that that doesn't matter yeah. because whatever they're going to do, they're going to fucking do it. Also, a lot of murderers don't think they're ever going to get caught. <laughs> so really the punishment for the crime is irrelevant to whatever they're doing and that makes deterrence completely fucking irrelevant because it doesn't matter like if you you don't think you're going to get caught why do you give a fuck what the punishment for the crime is totally so also some of those executed may not have been capable of being deterred so like mental illness Mm. or handicap another point is that the more the legal process distances the punishment from the crime the less effective a deterrent the punishment will probably be so what does that mean sorry um so um i mean that can work in terms of time frame so if you know if someone commits a really heinous crime and then they're executed for it but their execution i think i read somewhere that it was like 11 years or something was the average like the time between you know getting sentenced to the sentence being carried out yeah so 
you know, and that's because of the lengthy appeals process and everything as well. But because it's such a big distance between the, you know, when the crime was really raw and in the public consciousness and it happened to when that person is executed, it's not an immediate association of like, oh, this awful thing happened. Whereas with some people or some countries, the sentence is carried out almost immediately, like within a day <sighs> or a couple of days. Yeah, where it's like you are sentenced to death and now it's, you know, a couple of days later you're getting killed. And so everyone is aware that like that is what happens when you do this thing. Mm. And in, you know, we're talking specifically, I guess, in this context about America, where it is a really lengthy appeals process. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be an appeals process. No, for that. of course I'm not. Obviously, just saying there shouldn't be a fucking death penalty. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically like saying that the further away you are from, the further removed you are from the act, the less chance there will be an association with the punishment to the act. Yeah. Therefore, the deterrent is minimal. So in terms of the the example I think they used in this article was if a child is to put their hand into a fire and you get burned immediately, you learn that you don't touch the fire. You know, but if the, if you touch the fire and then like three weeks later it fucking hurts you might not associate that that was yeah, right. the fire. If it is a punishment for a crime, it should be as immediate as possible. Mm-hmm. So the other point, like the last point about deterrence was exactly what we were saying before. Executions are carried out in private and they're supposed to be painless. Apparently they rarely are. <laughs> yep. um, so with um, old school executions, you know, they were painful, they were humiliating and they were very public. And that functioned as a deterrent because it was the public horror. You know, it became a a thing where everyone sees it and everyone is horrified by it. And then you're like, well, I don't want to experience that. Yeah. And therefore you don't fucking do it or you don't do things that would result in you experiencing that. Whereas now it's like, yeah, you just don't see what happens. And if you're, it's really fucking easy to ignore it. Basically, if you're not witnessing it, it's really easy to ignore it. I think you'd have to be actually have your finger on the pulse to even know about these executions. Like, oh, yeah, like you have to be, yeah, really paying attention or within the legal field, like your mate who's actually fucking trying to defend these people. Yeah. I read a whole bunch about like the technology we use around executions and there was like fairly solid argument that actually like the guillotine was still like the most like a sharpened guillotine like the most humane most humane because there wasn't that strapped to the table for four hours and then it's like a kind of a slow process until you fall asleep and and so many botched ones so like so many botched ones yeah yeah i'm sorry if you want to continue so the third point was for public safety so arguments for capital punishment in regards to public safety was obvious one that those executed can't commit further crimes mm-hmm. clearly like yeah. <laughs> pretty impressive some ghost crimes you know you kind of deserve that one if, you, if you're committing ghost crimes for real you've earned that <laughs> so the next point was that the offender may not be a danger to the general public but there will still be a danger to prison staff and to other inmates and execution removes that danger which like yeah i can't really argue that point like, mm. of course they would be, but that's still a super fucking extreme reaction to, you know, <laughs> like a lot of people are at risk in their jobs. Like look at hospital staff or a lot of people that get, you know, cops, like a lot of people that get abused and treated a certain way on the job. It doesn't mean that everyone they come in contact with gets killed. That's not the solution is like, oh, that's a difficult person. Therefore, you should kill them. Like, it's not a proportionate reaction no, to look, that. Like, you'll get people on, you know, nonviolent drug offenses in prison. You know, they might get into a biff. Oh, so should we just do the death penalty for anyone that enters the prison? Like, what's the end game? Yeah. I mean, I guess American cops would say, yeah. Well, no, you kill them before they get to prison. Yeah, they're difficult on the street and then you just kill them. Yeah, like that. it's simple. Yeah, absolutely not funny. It's just how we deal with horrible things. So the arguments against the death penalty for public safety is that life imprisonment without the possibility of parole should protect society adequately. Mm-hmm. Like that in itself should be preserving the safety of the public. Also that possible rehabilitation and the opportunity to still make a positive contribution to society is there. It comes down to whether or not you think all life has inherent worth. And, you know, I, I understand when you hear of someone who clearly didn't think that about their victims it's hard to then extend that to them there's still like even levels of what a positive contribution to society is and it's not saying that they're you know enough to be released but even like fucking ed camper who was a total piece of shit but he still did things in prison that were 
some sort of positive influence in terms of, you know, he did it entirely, I'm sure, self-servingly, but he still did things that were of use, let's say. So, like, with talking to the FBI and helping them develop profiling skills with – he did fucking, like, books on tape – and shit, shit. Where he, which is so creepy to think about, but it he is. narrated a ton of audiobooks. So, you know, there's things like that where it's like, yeah, okay, but, you know, he's, he's obviously not a good person, but he still did some form of, you know, public service through his prison sentence. Yeah. That he likely would not have done had he been sentenced to death. Oh, no. The last point of those, so like the last sort of section, was closure. Mm. So the arguments for capital punishment and closure is that friends and families of victims would not have to attend court dates or parole hearings. What? No. Oh, parole. Yeah, okay. But Yeah, yeah. As in in terms of like after. Yeah, right. Okay. After, like we're talking about after execution. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, obviously you would have to attend a lot of court dates leading up to the execution. For an average of 11 years. like Yeah, post that, um, you know, it's like for the rest of them, the, the rest of the time, there are none. They may find peace in knowing that the offender is no longer alive. Also that, and this is a really fucked one actually, that the death sentence can be used as a plea bargaining tool. Mm. Um, so information can be extracted in exchange for a reduced sentence. Um, <sighs> yeah. Which is, yeah, that is super fucking problematic. And I'll go into that in my arguments against okay. <laughs> um, the death penalty. So closure um, with the against argument is that every family is different mm-hmm. and some do not feel that another death will provide closure. Um, and it's just like you said before with that family, how the victim's mother had said that it was just kind of sullying her daughter's name yeah. or tarnishing it. So the possibility for plea bargaining um, it's not justification for capital punishment any more than saying that torture is justified <laughs> yeah. because it would be a useful police tool. You know, like you wouldn't hold something over someone just because it's far worse because of course you fucking get the answer you want. And even then, most people who are like true fucking sociopaths don't fucking care. Right. Like they they do not care that they have a death sentence. Like it's not even like whatever. Holding the death penalty literally almost sounds like duress like yeah you know if you were to say something new with the threat of the death penalty like it i have my life threatened basically and it also is going to create a fuck ton of false confessions uh-huh. so really from all of this it was two questions that that sort of came from it in regards to like if you know it is a just punishment or not and the first is an empirical question well it's supposed to be empirical but it was does the threat of the death penalty actually deter people from committing heinous crimes to a greater extent than the threat of life imprisonment? Hmm. But of course, as we established, that's impossible to fucking know. Yeah. There's no real way to prove or disprove how effective a deterrent the death penalty is. But considering that violent and heinous crimes are still committed in death penalty states, probably no. Like, it's it's not a deterrent enough because they're still fucking happening. Yeah. So no matter what, they're still going to fucking happen. And so even, even if you went into this, like, saying that, yeah, they did, like, they fucking deterred, let's just hypothetically say they did, mm-hmm. goes to the, the next question, which is a moral question, which was even if the death penalty deterred crime more successfully than life imprisonment, would it be justified? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that we're asking, like this episode. So in a hypothetical situation, imagine if we threatened execution for minor crimes. So, I mean, I, I know I know we already said, and it's fucking true, American cops already do that. But say for like minor traffic violations, the tax fraud, for just sort of inconsequential, not inconsequential, but, you know, minor crimes. If we had the death penalty as a punishment for those crimes, would the crime rate drop? And the answer is most likely, but would most people judge it to be wrong? Yeah, yeah. Undoubtedly. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't fucking matter if the crime rate drops or not. It's fucking wrong. Like, and there shouldn't be a level really where, I mean, there are some people, and I, I know because of how much fucking true crime I listen to, where there are fucked cases where you just can't even conceive mm-hmm. that someone could do that to another person. But at the same time, who is the fucking state to judge that? That's the part that gets me. So like there's two schools of thought that I go into from this. And one is that there should be an upper limit on the severity of punishment that the government is allowed to threaten. Yeah, I agree. And that's sort of like the main the main thing. And I think death absolutely goes beyond that. Yes. Two is that 
innocent people are always going to be wrongly convicted. Mm -hmm. That's just the fucking, like, you know, the legal system is far from fucking perfect. And the risk of executing an innocent person at the direction of the state is enough for me to say no. Yeah, yeah. And it's bound to fucking, we know it happens. It does fucking happen. And, you know, the, the weight of that is just too much. It's the worst possible outcome of due process having failed that person. Yes, exactly. And I think for that very reason alone, like, I mean, well, not even alone. Like, I think it's, as you kind of said, like it's multi-pronged, but it's like, if that can't convince someone to want to abolish the death penalty, then I don't know what will convince someone. So, Kara, have you had a change of heart? Do you think we should be killing people who have or may have not committed criminal events? As much as I think Shocker is a great movie, um, no. No? There's definitely a part of me and, like, maybe it's just, like, my fucking bloodlust lizard brain mixed with just general misanthropy that's also been fucking inexplicably heightened by viral spreading morons as of late (laughs) Um, but there is a part of me that absolutely believes that some people deserve to die like 100% some people deserve to die but I just don't think that they should die by a government's hands or a person's hands at the direction of the government yeah so whether anyone deserves the death penalty is its own ethical debate and moral quandary, Mm. but it's not the question we posed. And I think even one person being executed for a crime they didn't commit, the potential for that to be able to happen, Mm -hmm. I can't say that that's just. No. You know, and so, I mean, you said no straight up last week. And I'm obviously not shifting hills. <laughs> I, I was, I'm definitely not shifting hills and I didn't want to shift hills, but I was hoping there'd be more of a fucking fight for the death yes. penalty, but all the arguments just fall apart upon yeah. further inspection. So I was just like, yeah, no, <laughs> we're on the right side of this. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting with me about this. I believe our next episode is going to be kind of more of the format of our Patreon specials. Uh, where we just kind of shoot the shit for a little bit. Oh, but we're releasing it to our main feed because um, I think we need just to kind of decompress after the death penalty chat. Hopefully you'll tune in with us next episode, which is technically a molehill to die on, where we ask a bunch of food-related questions and just give our loudmouth opinions about them. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at Hill to Die on Pod. You can visit our website, hilltodieonpod.com. You can uh, give us some money on Patreon at patreon.com slash hilltodieonpod. And lastly, you can like us on Instagram, send us a message. Uh, if you have suggestions, whatever, it's a Hill to Die on Pod. Great. Thank you. Bye.